times certain songs that we sing uh, that we are we don't realize we need them until we have we're singing them and I don't know if it's just been the exhaustion of the week or what but to be reminded of why we are here to worship thank you Trey if you have your Bible turn with me to first Corinthians chapter 10 first Corinthians chapter 10 as we are closing out what has been a very uh, very long and in-depth uh, teaching on the on navigating Christian freedoms. And if I remind you that um, a few weeks ago, I reminded you that the Apostle Paul takes one chapter to deal with love. Chapter 1 Corinthians 13, which is that great chapter, but he took three chapters, three uh, very long and in-depth chapters to deal with how to navigate the Christian freedoms. And so hopefully this shows you how important these past three chapters have been. But if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we will close out this morning as we begin reading in verse 23. But first, um, you may have used these books before, but in 1991, a book was written that has actually become a worldwide success or a series of books in 1991. The, how to, uh, the Dummies How-To Book series was started uh, the author wrote a book on the dummy's guide to the doll system. It was written to teach the average uh, person like me, I guess the dummy who knows nothing about computers, on how to use the operating system. But over the last 20 years, many more books have been published and written, and some of them have been very well, uh, have been great on very serious topics. I have one in my office on how to organize. I haven't opened it since many years ago, and if you come to my office, you can probably tell I haven't read it very well. Other, other books dealt with some other topics that I find very funny. They, uh, there, there was how to play chess, how to, uh, you know, how to fix a car, how to work on computer, all these different things, you know, how to do your finance, personal finance, health. But they even had some that were even hilarious and, and even quite weird. They had the dummy's guide to, uh, to acne. I had no idea they needed that one. They even had the, uh, the dummy's guide on how to chew your food. I didn't know you needed that, but apparently some did. And thankfully, men, they wrote a dummy's guide on how to be a great father. We started to give that out today as, a, as your gift, but I decided that may not go well. So we didn't. So, so anyways, if you ever wonder how to be a good father, they have the dummy's uh, how-to book. But anyways, I want you to listen to their website. I want to read something from their website that I find very interesting. It says... That their motto is learning made easy. It says the idea of the dummy series is this. Dummies is the platform that makes learning anything easy because it transforms hard to understand, hard to understand knowledge into easy to use knowledge. Dummies has always stood for taking a complex concept and making them easy to understand and for the average person to use. So after three whole chapters of in-depth teaching from the Apostle Paul on the explanation of our Christian freedoms, Paul is now going to summarize it into what I'm going to call this morning the Dummy's Guide to Christian Liberties. And so we've, we've done some very in-depth teaching over the last few weeks, and we've covered some uh, topics that I think have been very good, such as knowledge without love can lead to pride. Sanctification of the weaker brethren is important, or, or discipling of the weaker brethren is important. Our actions can have harmful influences on, the, on, on others in the faith family, or even hinder the gospel. 
Self-denial is beneficial for evangelism and for edification. And then as we saw over the last couple of weeks, we must be careful that our freedoms do not lead us into sin, even the sin of idolatry. And so today, as I said, the title, The Dummy's Guide to Christian Liberty, Paul will summarize all, of, all that we've taken, and he's going to give it into a kind of a, we're going to look at it in a, in a three-step thing here that Paul's going to give us. I'm going to show you three things this morning from our text. I want you to see an ethic that we are to adopt, a practice that we are to implement, and then I want you to see the reason that we strive. So an ethic we adopt, a practice that we implement, and the reason that we strive. And so if you will, look with me here in verses, uh, verse 23. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this, is, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. For, and for conscience sake, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning for, uh, that for which I gave thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jew or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. And look at chapter 11, verse 1. He closes out here. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Notice first an ethic to adopt. As we are beginning this this kind of how-to guide of navigating through the gray areas, navigating your Christian freedoms, you and I must look at it in this way and just kind of take this metaphor, this illustration, if you will. It is very much like teaching someone to drive. It is very much like driving. At the end of the day, the goal of driving is to stay in your lane and not wreck. Stay in your lane and not wreck. To stay in your lane and not, not end up in the ditch. And so what you have here is, is that you have a ditch on both sides of the road. You have, on the one hand, you have legalism. Where legalism is, is where an individual has these strict laws, uh, these strict rules, that even, the, even that the Scriptures themselves do not speak of. It may be things that the Scriptures even give us freedom to do. Again, this is gray areas, not the black and white areas. And so the legalist says that if you deviate from these things, these, these rules that they themselves bring forth, that if you deviate from these things, then you are disqualified spiritually. You have committed a great sin, and you are not, superior, you are not spiritually moral, as they say. And so every choice, every issue that they have is deciding how spiritual you are. Deciding how spiritual you are. Everything. Whether you eat, whether you drink, how you brush your teeth, every, every issue becomes an issue of sin. That's one side of the ditch, and it is a burden that we ourselves should not have to carry. But on the other side, there is a, a, another issue. And it's a word that I have not used, but I'll use it this morning, a little kind of a hard word, but it's antinomianism. And antinomianism is this, it is lawlessness. So on the one hand, there's the ditch of legalism, but there on the other hand, there is the ditch of lawlessness. We saw that over the last two weeks. 
where a Christian takes his freedoms to such a point that he finds himself in lawlessness, in sin, idolatry, sexual immorality, those types of things. And so we want to navigate our Christian freedoms in such a way that we're not being lawless, but we're also not being legalist. And so the first step that I want you to see this morning is this, is that you and I must adopt an ethic. We must adopt a principle, and Paul shows us here in verse 22 and verse 23. Notice what he says. He says, or, or, or I'm sorry, verse 23, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. So here what we find is, is that the principle, the rule that we must guide ourselves with, is that self-denial is for the purpose of edification. Self-denial, self-sacrifice in the area of freedoms, in the gray areas, when we deny something, when we self-sacrifice something in those areas, we are doing it for the purpose of edification's sake. We are doing it for our own edification and we are doing it for the edification of others. Notice that he says everything is lawful or everything is maybe permissible in your translation. This was a popular belief. In the ESV, you may see that it's in quotations, okay? This was what, we even saw this a few chapters ago. This was something that those in Corinth, in the community of Corinth, believed and that the church had adopted. And basically, it was the ethic or the principle that said, I can do whatever I want and it's okay. I can do whatever I want and it's okay. And God is fine with it. No one, no one needs to worry about me. You worry about your life. Let me live my life. Everything is fine. Well, if you remember, the Apostle Paul, the last three chapters, has taught us differently. Paul says, this is not right. Not everything you do is good or even is profitable. We saw that, that idolatry is sinful. You're not, you are not, it is not permissible for you to commit idolatry. So Paul has taught us that this is actually a false reasoning. We are not free to do everything that we desire, nor is it profitable for the gospel, nor is it profitable for ourselves, and nor is it profitable for those that are around us. He says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Now, it's not profitable for the gospel, it's not profitable for us, but Paul really wants to zero in here on the issue of edification for others, meaning that it is not wise for a Christian to live a life of reckless freedom because of their own self-satisfaction. Even if it's not a sin for you to, to participate or to say those words or do whatever, Paul says sometimes it's just not wise, brethren. And so thus navigating this road that we call Christian freedom requires us to adopt a principle that kind of governs us, that we will self-denial when necessary. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But we will self-denial for the purpose of edification. So in the gray areas, not the black and white, I will self-sacrifice for the edification of myself, for my fellow faith family members, for the church, for the gospel. Too many times... We argue and we defend ourselves and we find ourselves in, in, in battles over this. And, and the reason is, is that you and I take the position of, I, I, I want what I want. We, we take the position of, I, you know, I'm doing this, I'm arguing from the position of, this is what I want, this is good for me, not good for you. This is good for me, not for the church. This helps me, this doesn't help anyone else, it's what's best for me. Paul negatively describes that attitude in Philippians chapter 2 verse 21 where he says for they all seek their own interest and that word seek beloved means to strive after continually it means you strive daily for yourself you strive 
hourly for yourself. You strive minute by minute, moment by moment, second by second for yourself. It is literally a me first priority. It is a me first priority. And, and this is not the ethic that Paul is calling us to adopt. In Christian freedom, brothers and sisters, we adopt the ethic that dies to self. It says, do nothing from selfishness or, or empty conceit, or not merely to look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Christian freedom continually seeks the good of others. And so we must ask the question this morning, well, then what does this look like? That within the church, that within the church body, what does this kind of look like for us to, to die to self, to, to not seek my own good, but the good of other individuals? Well, let me just say this. For many of us, beloved, it is for us to stop talking and actually listening to one another. Because nine times out of ten, many of us just talk over one another and we just talk about what it is that we desire and what it is that we want. And so Paul is saying here that in your seeking, you know, not your own, that you and I must at times be very slow to speak and very quick to what? But to be quick to listen. This is demonstrated in our constant discussions over these gray areas. We must reason together. We must come together and so we need to truly consider with prayer and with medi- in the meditation over the scriptures the concerns of one another. Praying with one another on what is the right path. What is good for the body? What is good for the church? What, what's going to edify our church? What's going to edify what's going to edify Randy? What's going to edify my my children? Your children? rather than just what I want. Paul, Paul says you've got to die to this. But I would also even add, beloved, that this morning that we must learn to have patience with one another because, again, these are gray areas. So we're not always on the same page. We're not always going to see things the same way. And so, therefore, you live in a world of instant gratification and instant access, right? Do, do, do any of you remember AOL? Do any of you remember dial-up? right? You, you live in a world now where you can pull out of, out of your pocket a phone and go to Google and get direct access to the answers to a question. If you don't know the answers to something, it's right there literally at your fingertips. And so this is the way that we tend to deal with these situations is, is that if I disagree with you in this gray area, then I need instant results. I need you to agree with me. Rather than being patient with one another and giving one another time to work through these things. It may take days, it may take weeks, it may take months, it may take years. But we are patiently bearing with one another, not seeking our own, but patiently waiting. We see this within the text where the stronger Christian is patiently waiting for the weaker brother to come alongside. But so many times in the church, if it's not my way, it's it's the highway type deal. Rather, rather than being patient and walking through this together in love. And so we see here that Paul was saying that we must not seek our own, but we must seek the edification of the, of the brethren, that we may hear our brothers and sisters. We may, we may help bring our brothers and sisters along. But not only that, love, what will it take for us to achieve this? 
And Paul has been very clear through this, and we see this in that this is a present, we see that this is present imperative, that he's calling us to, this is a command for us. Notice, notice again, he says, let no one seek his own good. This is a command that you are to do, and it, comes, and it comes from, the obedience from this comes from the reliance of the Father. It comes from the strength of the Father. That my relationship with you, my dying to myself, my loving you, my seeking your good comes from relying on the Father. Again, look at chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul says here in these, in these words, he, he, he just kind of puts, the, this verse is the exclamation on everything that he said and how we do it. He says, imitate me for I imitate Christ. And when we look at the life of Christ, who, who was able to navigate through these things so perfectly, we're constantly see Christ who is in prayer. Constantly see Christ who's relying on his Father. And this is what we are called to do. Beloved, if you and I are going to navigate this world, and if we thought the last year and a half was hard to navigate gray areas, we haven't seen nothing yet. There are things that will come. And the church, local church body, is going to have to deal with navigating these areas. And Paul says you will do this by relying on the Father, dying to yourself, and seeking the good of one another. This is the beauty, beloved, of local church investment. This is the beauty of our core value. I am investing in you, and you are investing in me. This isn't an argument that one of us is trying to win over the others, but this is a church who is trying to do what is right to bring glory and honor to the Lord Notice next what he says. We have a practice to implement. Look at verse 25 here. He now, he now gives us an illustration. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, uh, to, he said, and if you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat, is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for conscience sake. And notice he says, I mean, not for your own conscience, because your conscience is fine, but for the conscience of the other man's. So, so, so notice here that Paul is now giving us a practice to implement. A practice to implement. Now, how does one implement this ethic of edification, this self-denial of edification? All right, so Paul says, he gives like a great preacher, he gives this illustration. So, so you know, one day you, some visitors come to the church or whatever, and you develop a relationship with them. You have them over to your house, right? Amen. Uh, we're going to do that again because that's something we want you to do. Visitors come to our church, and then you take them to your house for hospitality. Amen? Amen. That's what we're working on. The relationship then develops, and all of a sudden, they, they invite you to, your, to their house. And so you, Mr. and Mrs. Corinthian, you know, you go to their house, and you don't eat meat that is sacrificed to idols, but you go, or maybe you and another couple go. And so one of you goes, and they lay the meat out, and you, the stronger brethren, says, it's okay to eat the meat. But then you got the other brother and sister who came with you, and they go, we can't eat the meat. I love this. Uh, this. This is really, you have to work through this. Because this is a sticky situation. You've got an unbeliever who you've been working on to come to know Christ. You're in their home. You're making progress. They put meat in front of you. And you go, okay, I can eat this. But the one you brought with you says, I can't eat this. And if you eat this, you're going to offend me. You have a sticky situation. And so the Apostle Paul is going to navigate us through this, through a two-step process first. Number one, the practice that we implement is this, beloved, liberty over legalism. 
Liberty comes will always be a priority over the issue of legalism. As long as the Corinthians were not participating in the idol worship, they were free to partake of the meat. They were for free to go to an unbeliever's house, to go and eat with them. Paul does not want the Corinthians to be overly rigorous in their practice here, making a big deal out of every issue. They put the meat before, how dare you? You'll never be a member at our church putting that stuff here. I, I'm not eating that. How, you are so lost. Man, this is, how lost are you? That's legalism. And, that, and, and that's what Paul is saying. So he says liberty over legalism. You're calling something sinful that God has not himself called sinful, and you're forcing that law on other people. And not only that, you're binding them to your law, not to God's law. And so in the areas that are not forbidden in Scripture, in areas that are not sinful things, we follow our conscience according to where we are on the different levels of sanctification. And so this is what Paul is advocating. So when the food is offered here to the idol, you know, eventually we go to the meat market. So the unbeliever went to the meat market, or he may have got the temple, and he cooks it, he serves it up, you know, Fourth of July, whatever. The believers come in, and so the one who has the stronger conscience is able to partake of the food. Because as he says there in the next verse, he says, this is all of God's creation here. Liberty over legalism. Beloved, liberty over legalism allows you and I to make every, allows you and I to stop making every issue and every choice in our life about sin and about our own spirituality, superior spirituality. Because that's what you and I want to do a lot of times. We want to judge ourselves based upon everyone else. And if I do or don't do something that they do, then I am, I am, I am better than they are. I am more like Christ. The liberty that we have in Christ stops us from doing that. It allows us to not live under this burden here. And that every issue that I come to in the gray areas, again, not the black and white areas, but in those gray areas, that every issue that I come to is not always an issue of sin. Our hearts are, 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 notice what Paul says in in the next thing. Notice what he says. He's in verse 29, I mean not your own conscience, but that of the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? Verse 30, for if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning for which I gave thanks? God, thank you for bringing me into this lost person's house. The gospel is about to go forth. Notice the evangelism is taking place, not because he's not eating the meat, but because he is eating the meat. And he says, God, he's cooked supper for me, and it looks really good. And he says, then eat it, brother. And don't ask questions, and you're fine. Liberty allows us, beloved, to rise above legalism that turns every issue into a competition of who is more spiritual. That is not edifying one another, brethren. It allows us to express our faith and our trust in God rather than robotic service. Because in these areas of the great areas, but we're able to make decisions based upon our conscience and based upon our study of the word and based upon our prayer life. We're, we're, we have this freedom and this, there's just a little bit of leniency here where we're able to express our faith and our trust in God. I'm going to eat this and I'm going to trust God that, that God's going to be glorified because my heart is right and maybe an opportunity will open up. I'm going to trust God in these things. And so we begin to see this. But the other thing is when we begin to live under the legalism of others, we become just these robotic servants, not under the law of God, but under the law of another person. Do you not see what's happening in our country right now? 
if you don't do this, we'll cancel you. If you don't say this or have this in your movie, it's done. How dare the church ever become like that? Liberty allows us to express our faith and our thankfulness, not only our faith and trust, but even our thankfulness to God for his creation and the freedom that he has purchased for, that he purchased on the cross. And so Paul says, beloved, that when we begin to navigate the gray areas, we want to self-deny for edification. And so he says, so this is how it works. We must always put first uh, liberty over legalism. Now, but something changes. Notice that we now see that the second brethren, the second couple, looks to the other and goes, apparently they walk to the back or something. They go, psst, that meat is offered to the idols. We can't eat it. And you're going there. That's a really nice looking steak. Yeah, but you can't eat it. And so what do you do? And so notice what Paul says. He says to us that if someone, verse 28, that if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for conscience, for their conscience. So, so in this hypothetical situation, beloved, one can follow his conscience without doubt until it becomes necessary for him to self-deny. When a weaker brethren raises the question of the meat being a stumbling block, the stronger Christian needs to forego his freedom for the Christian brother. So take note, the self-denial happens when it was necessary and done with no arguing, no condemnation, no insisting on friends. They didn't break out into an argument in the brother's house. The stronger brethren sees that here that he needs to, that he needs to stop and not eat this meat because his brother over here is going to be offended. And, by, and so let me give some remarks on this, okay? Number one, when I say offended, I mean a stumbling block for the weaker brethren, not just because he has some high moral superiority. N- notice again uh, in, verse, in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 32. Give no offense either to Jew or Greeks or to the church of God. Give no offense. The better translation there would it really is give no reason to call or give no cause for stumbling. In other words, don't make them stumble into sin. This is not an individual who's going, I am really spiritual. And if you eat that, you're not spiritual. You're not like Christ and you're not like me. No, this is a brother who is sitting there going, I can't do that, man. I know, I know where that's come from. And if, and, and if we partake of that, it's going to be a temptation. It's going to hurt me. I'm going to go to bed at night in tears, broken, because, I, because, because my, conscience, my conscience was offended. It was hurt because I did something that I, that I really felt I should not do. This was a stumbling block. This was not legalism. This is a real problem. And the stronger Christian needs to recognize that problem. And too many times our debates and defensiveness is about preference. And so instead we need to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and realize that this is something that is hurting them and that something that may tempt them. We need to examine our own lives in this. Put ourselves in their shoes. But hear me on this, bub. The weaker brethren need to also examine their own heart. Are you just really mad because you have this set of laws, legalistic laws? Or is this really a stumbling block for you? And so here we we find this, brethren. 
that you and I need to, to forego when the moment arises that it is a stumbling block. Not only that, but secondly, he forgoes his freedom of edification for edification, not for, not for evangelism. And this is extremely important, so don't, don't, don't miss this. As a good Southern Baptist, right, we have made evangelism the justification for all of our actions. And I will speak on that more next Sunday night. But we've turned evangelism into a golden cow. To the point that, that what, the end justifies the means. So therefore, what we do is we say, well, if we do A, right, if we do this, then more people will come to church, more people will be saved. This is what's going to happen for the lost people. Notice what happened. The greater evangelistic thing to do was to eat the meat. Because you know that guy got offended. I just cooked a steak and you're not going to eat it? The greater evangelistic thing to do was for them to eat the steak and to hush. But Paul says that when my brother has a stumbling block put before him, I seek the edification of my faith family member. I seek the edification of my, of my brother in Christ before the lost person. Paul advocates that Christian edification over evangelism. So when we're navigating our freedoms, evangelism is not justification for making someone do something that you think they need to do. It's, 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 not, it's not justification for legalism. And matter of fact, the greater, the greater evangelistic display is actually in the edification. They may be mad, they may not like it, but what do they see? They see a brother who says no, and a brother who says yes, and it is a big, big deal. But they come together, and they see sacrifice and love, bearing with one another, and you will find that in no other place in the world but in the local church. Romans twelve sixteen. be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. In other words, find a path of harmony or oneness and to not let your pride get in the way. And so we see edification over evangelism here. Do you see what that means for you, FBC? You and me have covenanted together in such a way that you are so important to me that I am willing to sacrifice so many other things for you. Again, we're not sacrificing evangelism completely. This individual can still hear the gospel. It's not like he's going to go to hell. You know, this moment is going to decide his fate in hell. But I am working to make sure that I don't cause you to sin. And that you don't cause me to sin. And thirdly, he forgoes his freedom patiently. Notice that there is no arguing. Notice there's no, there's, there's, there's no spiritual debate or battle here. You, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not just going to throw down on giving out their knowledge of the Bible to one another and their experiences with one another. Instead, the stronger Christian says, all right, brethren, I will eat the vegetables. And for those of us today, we know how hard that is. Amen? I didn't know vegetables even tasted good. Put away the meat. For my brother in Christ, and patiently wait to discuss with him 
pray for him and talk with him about these issues later. And here's the deal. You want to go home and then cook you a steak? Fine. Go home to your house and do it. But in this moment, it was necessary for the brother to put it away and patiently forego his freedoms. Patiently forego those words of condemnation. You're just so weak. You're just so weak. You're not like Christ. You're you're just not as knowledgeable as we are. You don't see that. You see the stronger brother keeping his mouth shut and saying, brother, I love you. I love you. You, We see him patiently forgoing his actions in the moment that he may enjoy, that he may enjoy his brother and his own sanctification in that moment. He, he, patiently, he patiently forgoes his actions in that moment and then enjoys his liberties at another place and another time. He patiently prays for and, and studies the scriptures. They, they, they pray for one another and they study the scriptures. And maybe even the one who did eat the meat will eventually say, you know what, now my conscience says, this could, be, this could be lead me into sin. I don't need to eat meat. They patiently are praying with one another, discussing. There's so many things, love, that you and I can do here. But here we find the practice of liberty before legalism. And then when the need arises, we see the foregoing of freedoms. And Paul says, this is how we navigate this. And he, and, he, and he gives us the most sticky of all situations in the house of an unbeliever. But now notice here a reason to strive. Look at verse 31. He says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now we see the reason why we strive to adopt this ethic and this practice. Glory to God. Amen? Glory to God that anything and everything that we do is to be done for the ultimate glory of God. And God is glorified when the church is in, is in unity. And God is glorified when we're loving one another and we're laying and we sacrifice for one another. And when we're not, not fighting with one another, but bearing with one another, being patient with one another. God is glorified in the church. Notice those verbs there. He says it twice. He says that both verbs do are in the present tense, which calls for us to, to live this life continually. That when I wake up in the morning, I, my goal is to continually live for the glory of God in all things. That's why you were created. That's why I was created. And so we are daily navigating my freedoms. I'm daily navigating this world with such a constant look at my own heart. My, not just my own actions, but my own heart. Am I seeking to bring glory and honor to God? We're keeping constant watch over our heart, over our actions. Making sure the intention and the motivation for any liberties that I have, any use of those freedoms, beloved, is to bring pleasure to the Heavenly Father. John MacArthur says that even in the most mundane and routine, non-spiritual things of life, like ordinary eating and drinking, God is to be glorified. His glory is to be our life commitment. Do you see what Paul is saying there? What what God is saying to you this morning? You were created to bring glory to God in every moment and every second of your life. Even when you sit at the table to eat and to drink. Even when you go to the marketplace. Even when you're at the ball field, even when, even when you're at home with your, with your children, 
even on Father's Day and on Mother's Day. There never comes a moment, there never comes a second, there never comes a week, there never comes a year which you get to take off and say, I'm going to live for me and my glory and for myself. But in all things, I'm seeking the glory of the one who gave his life for me. J. Wilbur Chapman said it this way. He said, my life is governed by this rule that anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me. And I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. You see what he's saying? I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of those that I have covenanted with and for the glory of Christ And so, Christian, examine your heart today. Examine your heart today. What motivates your decisions in freedom and liberty? What motivates your decisions in sacrifice and denial? What motivates you for doing what you do? Is it self? If it's self, then you need to repent and die of that. Is it winning the argument? I'm going to win this argument. I'm going, I'm going to, to, I'm going to have the better knowledge of you. I'm going to put you in your place, right? And show you that I'm right. Well, beloved, you need to remember what Christ said. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. That you do more service for God when you deny yourself the win and the argument. Spiritual superiority maybe, right? I'm I'm going to be more spiritual than you are a legalist who has created a law that is not the law of God but the law of the Pharisees. And you enforce your law much like the Pharisees enforced their law, which became a burden on the people. And you rob the people, you rob your church, you rob your brothers and sisters of joy and the freedom that God purchased on the cross for them. You rob your Christian brothers and sisters of joy and freedom to live their life to the glory and to the honor of God. Because you're not living for God, you're living for spiritual superiority. Paul says that every moment in everything that we do, we live to the glory of the one who gave his life. So instead, we seek biblical love when the two parties disagree. When we're patient and we're kind in our dialogues where we truly discuss the issues, the, 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 the issues and we discuss what God, what would bring glory to God better. That, that, that's what this is about. What, what's going to bring glory? Yes, the world is watching, but God is watching as well. And it is He who matters. Self-sacrifice that is profitable both for not only you, but for the individual. Are you sacrificing for the church? Are you sacrificing your own liberties and freedoms and your own things, that those own arguments that you just want to win for the church, for the brethren? God has glorified brothers and sisters when the church is unified and it is strong rather than divided and weak. He is, he is unified, brothers and sisters, when our self-sacrifice is profitable not only for the gospel, but profitable only, but also for you and for myself. And so notice what he says in chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And so here's the challenge. We each should live our life in such a way that it points to the life of Christ. I know these gray areas are not fun. 
They're not fun to navigate. We like the, the, the to-do list. We like the do's and the don'ts and the blacks and the whites. We, we like to know what, what I need to do and what I don't need to do. So these gray areas are not all that fun. And so it, but it is these gray areas, beloved, that shows the beauty of sacrifice, that points to the greatest sacrifice of all. In these gray areas, we can point to the one who gave his life for you. The one who had all freedom in all of the world to do what as, as he willed, to do justly as he willed. The one who had all glory and all honor, but who gave it all up to come and to live his life that he may lay it down. And so by pointing to Christ in the great areas below, we're, we're at pointing to that sacrifice. We are pointing people to God. We're pointing people to the one who can save them. And so I would call upon anyone this morning who has not believed upon Christ to know that Christ sacrificed his life for you. Died the sinner's death for you. And rose from the grave for you. And that you should come to repentance this morning. To believe upon Christ. To give your life to Him. To repent of your sins and have faith in Christ. Paul says, be imitators of me just as I am imitators of Christ. As we navigate the freedoms beloved, hear me this morning. These gray areas give us an opportunity to point to the one who gave the greatest sacrifice of all. So therefore, beloved, let us embrace this ethic of self-denial. Let us practice this, this process of liberty over legalism and foregoing of our freedoms when necessary. And beloved, let us live our lives in such a way that God will be glorified in all that is said and all that is done within you and within your church. Let's pray.